Oh. You know who I thought of when I saw that? I could see Ruth Brooks doing that. <laughs> she wouldn't care. Oh. That was so good. I, I know what some of you are thinking right off the bat. Like, what is Pastor showing us here? What is this all about? We're starting a new series called Four Letter Words. And it's, it's interesting, you know, growing up, and we all understand this, there are certain words that were just no-nos that you shouldn't, shouldn't say. And there's certain words, obviously, we see in our society we shouldn't say. And, and what we're doing is we're going we're gonna to go through a series and just looking at four-letter words that we don't seem to really talk about a whole lot uh, in church. And, and I want to dive into these words. And, and I, for some reason, I don't know why we don't talk about some of these words. I don't know if they kind of hit a spot in our life that maybe we don't want to deal with or, or maybe we struggle with. And, but yet, yet the Word of God talks about these words and, and how they need to be part of our life or, or these things that we need to be striving for uh, in our lives. And so the four-letter word we're going to be talking about today is, is the word holy. And, and what, does that, what does the word holy mean? And, and how, do I, how do I grow in holiness? Because we, we understand that, that our God is a holy God. There is none like him. We, we sang about that this morning. But yet... And in, in, in the same sentence, God says, as I am holy, you are to be holy also. And, and we all know that, that we, we fall or we struggle with sin in our lives. And, and maybe, maybe for some of you here, that was your big struggle about maybe even coming back to church or being part of the church because you felt like, you know, there's this standard that has to be held up. And I'm not like other people or other people made me feel guilty about my life or the things that I've done or my past. And I've really struggled with that. And, and that's one reason why I didn't like coming to church because of the guilt and the condemnation. But I, w- I want to take a different look at, at, at holiness and what does it mean to be holy. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, is, is holiness something that I retreat from? Or is it something that I'm actually pursuing in my life? And, and the verse I want to jump off of this morning is found in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. And, and, and what Peter is saying here, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the what evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you, speaking of God, is holy, so be holy in all that you do. And so, and so what these verses are telling us is that there's an obligation as obedient children that we are to pursue holiness. And it's what the scripture is telling us. It's not really a suggestion, but it's saying, listen, as God is holy, we are to be holy too. And so I think the problem we have with the word holy or when we hear speaking or messages on, on holiness, I think maybe we have a wrong conception of what, what it means to be holy. And that's what I, I kind of want to blow the lid off of this word holy and, and, and share with you this morning what, what it isn't and some of the myths of what it means to be holy and then what it truly means to be holy this morning. And I, my prayer is that it will help you, that it will uh, maybe... Um, take away some of the misconceptions of holiness and maybe some of the guilt and the condemnation that you have in your life about walking before the Lord, that I want you to realize that your holiness is not found in yourself, but it's found in who Jesus is. And my prayer for you this morning is that as you walk closer to Jesus, you will realize 
that as you pursue him, you realize that everything comes from Jesus and that you want your life to reflect what Christ has done in your heart. Not trying to um, uh, pursue rules and regulations and more rules and more regulations and all the do's and the don'ts. Um, But I want you to realize that Christ has this joy that he desires to give to you that you would live a full life in him. That as you desire Christ, he would give you the desires of your heart as you follow him. And it's not this drudgery of, oh, there's another thing on my list that I have to stop doing. There's another thing that I screwed up and that I got to stop doing. I've, I've got to become this better person only to mess up the next week and to go through this revolving door or this merry-go-round of just never thinking that I'm good enough. Well, I want to realize you're never going to be good enough in yourself. And your life has to be found in Christ. He has to be living through you and in you. And as you pursue Jesus, you will see that through living for Christ, he will help you in those areas of your life and the things that you feel so defeated in. So what I want to look at, first of all, is I want to look at what holiness is not. This is what it isn't. Holiness is not do's and don'ts. Okay, holiness is not do's and don'ts. And there's a, a couple problems that we have with holiness. And I, I look at, at, at probably two areas that we tend to look at holiness in, the, in, this, in, in what we tend to fall into. And one of the areas of holiness that we kind of tend to fall into is this comparison holiness. And, and basically, I base my goodness or my holiness on how I see myself against other people. So if I'm living my life a certain way by, by the things that I don't do, and I look at other Christians and the things that they do do, it tends to make me feel better about my life because I say, I don't do the things that they do and shame on them for doing the things that they shouldn't be doing. And I don't do those things. So I'm more holy than the person that does those things. Does that make sense? Right? And so we compare ourselves to other people based on our righteous acts. Is that holiness? It is not. Here's the myth. The myth is this. What makes me holy, and this is a myth, what makes me holy is seen by what I avoid. By what I avoid. This is a myth. What makes me holy is seen by what I avoid. Avoid, And I call this, there's this comparison holiness where I compare my righteous acts compared to other people. And that makes me feel better when I'm not doing the things that they're doing. But also this myth of holiness is, is seen by what I avoid. I call this exterior holiness. That this looks at the things that I don't do and I will show you how holy I am but by what I don't do. And I want other people to see that. I want them to see the things that I avoid. So when I'm out in public and someone drops some bad words, I want them to know that those are bad words and I don't like those words. Why? Because I'm more holier than you are, right? And we like to look down and say, hey, don't say those words. Those are bad words. Don't you know who you're standing around? I'm a Christian. Whip-de-doo-da-day, right? That's the way we think sometimes. And we look down on people. And so we have this external holiness by the things that I don't do, and I will show you how holy I am. And the issue with this is Jesus ran into the same 
problem with this false kind of holiness when he was on earth. Because many religious people at the time of Jesus took pride in what they didn't do. It was a badge of honor for them and, and, and that they weren't like other people. And when they would pray, when they would pray in the synagogue, they would actually pray, I'm glad I'm not like them. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them. Have you ever prayed that way? We've all done that at a time, right? Lord, thank you I'm not like the pagans in this world, right? And, and there's this raunchy sense of self-righteousness that just oozes out of us that the Lord is not pleased with. And Jesus wasn't pleased with this when he ran into the religious of his time. And so they had these list of rules on top of rules on top of rules that they took pride in and how well they could even follow these sets of rules. And by following them, it made them feel better and look better than others. This was this exterior holiness. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said about this type of exterior or comparison type holiness. In Matthew 23, Jesus has some pretty choice words for those who had this kind of mindset about holiness. Let me read you just a couple verses in Matthew 23 and show you kind of Jesus' words here. It says, when Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees, now the, the Pharisees were the religious of the time. They were a very elite group. They followed God's laws to a T. The teacher of the law did the same thing. They, they sat in this place of Moses' seat, place of, of judgment. Verse 3, it says, So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, and they put themselves and aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Basically, a phylactery was what Jews would wear on their foreheads to remind them of God's word. It was always before them. It was found in Deuteronomy. Very wonderful practice to always have God's word before them. But the problem is they were using it to show they made their phylacteries huge so people could see, look how big my phylacteries are, and that I have God's word in them, and I know this, and I've memorized God's word, and God's word is always for me. Look how beautiful my robes are, and my tassels are. Look how holy I am. Hallelujah. Right? And so it was to be seen. It was exterior. It was all seen on the outside. And so Jesus condemns this. Look at verse 23 through 26. I mean, the whole chapter really condemns this type of holiness. Jesus says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but in the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. So what he calls them. He calls them blind Pharisees. Clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Wow. These are some very important words that Jesus speaks here. You see, 
They believed, and we can believe also if we're not careful, that holiness was only what you avoided. And Jesus makes the point, and at this time he's making the point about food, because there was food that was clean and there was food that was unclean. And, the, and they were to avoid these certain type of foods. But they would say, and they would make people look to say, look, at, I'm more holy than you by what I don't eat. And Jesus says, it's not what goes necessarily into your mouth that makes you unclean, but it's what comes out. And he says, why? Because what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. So what is Jesus actually more concerned with here? He's saying, listen, it's okay to tithe and it's okay to give. And yes, we should live holy lives. And there are certain things definitely we should avoid. But see, the religious at the time didn't avoid certain things to draw them actually closer to God. They didn't wear the phylacteries on their foreheads and make their tassels long to actually draw them closer to God. By avoiding certain things and making themselves look better than everyone else, they're actually drawing themselves closer to themselves. Listen, this wrong type of holiness, all it does is draw you closer to yourself. And what it ends up doing is pushing you further and further away from others. You see, when Jesus calls us, he never told us to avoid the world. He never told us that, that we are not to go in the world. And what we end up doing as Christians so many times, and this always bothered me, is that, yes, when God calls you to his son Jesus, he makes you holy. And, and what it means to be holy, it means to be separated. Now, catch this. When God went into the temple and he told the priest, listen, I want you to anoint all the things that are in the temple area because I want those things to be sacred, set apart unto me. There's actually a fragrance of the anointing oil that when people would walk into the temple area or the tabernacle, they would smell the fragrance of the anointing oil that they knew when they came into this place, it was God's presence. There was a sweet smelling aroma of that place, representing God's holiness, that he has separated and consecrated these things onto himself. When he would anoint the priest, he would do the same thing. They would pour the oil over the priest to represent that you are now consecrated unto me for my service. When we come to Christ, God separates us from the world unto Jesus, and he consecrates us. He sanctifies us unto himself. Now, what is the purpose? Is the purpose so we can come to church and get into our little holy huddles and point the finger at the world and tell them how bad they are? No, God separates us unto himself that we might go into the world and show and serve the world and show the world the love of God that they might see that we are different, not pointing the finger, not in judgment, but to show them the love of Christ and how he separates us unto sin and unto himself. That should be a beautiful thing. In fact, the New Testament talks about us as actually being the aroma of God. That when we go into the world, do you stink or do you have the aroma of God? Sad to say, nine o'clock crowd, that many times Christians go into the world and we just stink because we point the finger and we judge and people avoid us because they want nothing to do with us because they feel like all we do is judge them. God says, no, we're to be this sweet smelling aroma that we're separate into Christ, that we've gone into the world to serve the world and to love them and to point them to the way to God. Amen, Amen. Amen church. 
man, that's, that's what he's called. So he separates not to get into our holy huddles and to say us four and no more. And then to just point the finger at the world and get into our four walls of the church and just say, look how bad the world is. Amen, pastor. No, he saved us to separate us, to consecrate us, that we might go into the world and be that sweet smelling aroma that God desires us to have. See, the problem with the Pharisees is it was more about how they looked than how it gave glory to God. And I believe this is a good point to ponder. I believe that it's always good to check our motives for what we're doing and why we're doing them for God. So here's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is this. Holiness is not obtained through my righteousness. It's not obtained by what I do. I love this um, quote by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he tries to be good. That's so true. Because it's never enough, isn't it? Because you're always going to find someone who's gooder than you are. Excuse my bad English. Just is, right? It's the same in a job or your sports. There's always going to be someone that is better. It's, it's, it's vanity to try to pursue that. So no man knows how bad it is until he tries to be good. So, so what does this all mean? Well, does, does God let us off the hook? Can I do whatever I want? as long as it's not that bad. And it's interesting in our holiness, we draw all these lines like, is this too far, pastor? Should I, should, is, is this too far in my relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Where, where's the line, pastor? I always remember getting that question asked when I was a youth pastor because they're like, where's the line? And here's the question I always throw back to the teenager or, or single or a person that's dating today. I would say, if you're asking where the line is, it's the wrong question. If you're asking where the line is, guess what? That line is always going to shift. That line is always going to shift because you compare that line to what the world is. That line's way over here, right? Do whatever you want. It's okay. But God says there's purity that I want you to have in your relationships. So if you're asking that question of how far is too far, you're asking the wrong question. The right question to ask is, Jesus, how far can I come to you? How close can I come to you? that you would be honored and glorified, even in my relationships? See, that's the question we should. Is this glorifying to you? If you're asking that question, God will answer your question. If you're answering the question, what is the line? You're asking the wrong question. And so what, is it, what, is, what does it mean? Well, I like what Jerry Bridges said here. Great book called The Pursuit of Holiness. If you want to get a good book on this, I would recommend this book highly. It's a, just a classic. He says this, we can become so accustomed to our sin that we sometimes lapse into a state of peaceful coexistence with them. But God never ceases to hate them. So we have to look at what is holiness in comparison to God, and then how do we pursue this holiness in the right way? Because if we are going to be holy as God is holy, we can't obtain it through our own goodness. The question is, how do we then please God? And so the extremes are, you know, okay, how do I not live with my sin or give in to my sin? And then the other extreme is saying, okay, how do I walk in this without uh, walking in self-righteous judgment? So there, there are the two extremes. The, the extremes are, um, you know, uh, not living with the sin and, and, and trying to live a life that's pleasing to God and then, and then not morphing into the self-righteousness 
that Jesus condemned. So the, so the two traps are, the one trap is trying to be good enough on our own that doesn't obviously work, and the other trap is just giving up. It, it's, I've made so many mistakes, I'm a failure at this Christian stuff, and I just want to give up. And so why is holiness so important, and why should I even care? Because if God says, be holy as I am holy, it's something that's important to God. And it's something that should be important to our life. It's something that we shouldn't put on the back burner and just say, well, that's something I'll think about later. If he says that we're to be holy, then I think it's important that we look at it. And so we have to understand that God is holy and nothing unholy can stand in his presence. If you look at the Old Testament, the way the priest would approach God into the Holy of Holies, there was all these things that they had to go through. And you think to yourself, why would they have to consecrate themselves? Why was it only the high priest? Why was it this way? Why were all these regulations that they had to go through in order to approach God's presence? I want you to understand something. God is perfect, and anything unholy that would be in God's presence would die. So we have to understand that God is perfect in all his ways, that he is holy, and nothing unholy can be seen in his presence. Now, what I love is that we have an example that when God spoke to Moses and called Moses to uh, release the children out of bondage, out of Egyptian captivity for over 400 years, he meets with him out in the desert. And as you know, he's at at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and and God is speaking to him through this this burning bush. And, And it's interesting that God asked him to do something. He asked him to remove his sandals. And so he's standing at this burning bush. God asked him to remove his sandals. And why did God ask Moses to remove his sandals? What did God say to Moses? He said to Moses what? He said, this is holy ground. Now, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Was it the place that made it holy? Mm-mm. What made that place holy was God's presence. God's presence. And so God wanted Moses to obey his voice. He said, remove your sandals. Now, removing your sandals was a type of, the sandals, because you're walking on ground and dirty ground, was a sense of defilement. He goes, I want to remove that thing that is symbolic of defilement. So remove your sandals and, and, and stand in my presence. Now, why couldn't anyone just go into the temple and worship the Lord? And just go into the Holy of Holies. It was a holy place. But what made that place holy? Well, it was set aside for God. You just couldn't approach God without dying. And what made that place holy? is That's where God's glory, his presence would be. And the people of Israel, when they, were, when they would come to worship, especially you could see this in the wilderness, because the tabernacle or the tent would be in the center of the tribes of Israel. And when they would come and they would see, when they would come to worship, you could literally see the Shekinah glory, the cloud of God's presence descend on that place. And they knew that God's presence was there. And it would be, bring fear and trembling because this was a holy place. And they understood that you just couldn't approach this. And that's why God had set up all these regulations for the priests on how they were to approach them because anything that was unholy could not come into his presence. But what God did through these regulations by them sanctifying themselves, God would allow them on Yom Kippur, once a year on the Day of Atonement, to come into his presence and offer up sacrifices for themselves and the people of God that God would atone for their sins. And so the reason why God did this, he wanted them to realize, I'm a holy God and you are not. 
And your sins are the things that separate you from me. So how do we pursue God in the right way? How do we honor God in his holiness and pursue holiness in the right way without stumbling into the self-righteous holiness that I'm better than everybody else or that I, I obtain God's holiness through the righteous acts that I do? How do we break away from that wrong thinking? How do we pursue God without falling into self-righteousness or living a life that's not pleasing to God or doesn't even think about holiness or the way I live our lives? Because we can fall into that self-righteous trap of look how great I am by the things that I avoid, but then we can fall in the trap like, do I even think about my life and the way I live my life and the things that are defiling me in my walk with the Lord? So what? Is holiness. Here's what holiness is. Here it is. Are you ready? And I hope you get this. And I hope this helps all of you here today. Holiness is not so much what you avoid, but whom you embrace. That's what it is. It's whom you embrace. It's not necessarily what you avoid, but whom you embrace. That's where you have to start. God gave us Jesus who was perfect in every way. When I embrace Jesus, I am covered now in his righteousness. God set me apart and consecrated me in Christ Jesus. God doesn't consecrate me by the good things that I do. In fact, my works, God says, are filthy rags before him. But Jesus was perfect in every way. And so what Jesus does is, the Bible tells us Jesus died for our sins upon the cross. His sacrifice was perfect. And so Jesus just didn't go through a man-made tabernacle. He didn't go through the blood of bulls and goats for the atonement. He actually offered up himself. God himself offered up himself for you and I. And he didn't go through an earthly tabernacle. He went through a heavenly one. Which means this. That once and for all, our sins are atoned for. We don't have to keep going back on Yom Kippur every single year to offer up, to get an atonement for our sins through the, through the blood of bulls and goats. We don't have to keep doing that. Jesus' sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice for you and I. He paid the penalty for your sin by dying for it upon the cross, by having our sins placed upon himself and breaking us from the curse of the law and the guilt and the condemnation that comes with that. Our sins are atoned for through Jesus Christ. The sins that we, that we did last week, two months ago, 20 years ago, and the sins that we're going to commit tomorrow, next week, and 20 years from now if we're still here. Isn't that wonderful? It's covered. And so when I recognize that, I come to Christ, and that's where I repent and put my faith in Jesus. Say, God, forgive me. It's only through Christ that I can be forgiven because he did it for me. And so it's placing your faith in the one who did it for you. So God gave us Jesus, who is perfect in every way. When I embrace Jesus, I'm covered in his righteousness. And so now the way I live my life, I now live it through Christ. So here's the bottom line. Here it is. I can't be holy without Christ. Plain simple. I can't be holy without Christ. And that's what Jesus was trying to point out to the Pharisees. You can't be holy without God. You think you are by trying to follow all God's rules, but you're using the rules just to prove to yourself that you're better than everybody else. But that's not the purpose of the rules. The rules were to point to something greater, that you couldn't fulfill those things in yourself, that we need a perfect Savior, and that's why Jesus came. 
So the Pharisees who Jesus spoke against lived their holiness under themselves. It benefited themselves. It made them look good. A true indicator of a self-righteous life is when we do things for how it makes me look instead of how it makes God look. So my life now through Christ, the reason why I want to do righteous acts is because they're through Christ and I wanted to give Jesus the glory and not myself. Amen? Jerry Bridges, let me, let me quote for you another thing from his book here that I, I thought was so good. Because here's our struggle. Our struggle is with sin. Our struggle is with sin. And we all make mistakes. And we all mess up from time to time. And I love what he says here. Here's, here's a correct way to look at our life and our sin. He says, too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It might be good if we stop using the term victory and defeat to describe our progress and holiness. Rather, we should use terms like obedience and disobedience. When I say I'm defeated by some sin, I am unconsciously slipping out from under my responsibility. I'm saying something outside of me has defeated me. But when I say I'm disobedient, that places the responsibility for my sins squarely on me. We may, in fact, be defeated, but the reason we are defeated is because we have chosen to disobey. We need to brace ourselves up and realize that we are responsible for thoughts, attitudes, and actions. We need to reckon on the fact that we died to sin's reign that it no longer has any dominion over us, that God has united us with the risen Christ and all his power and has given us the Holy Spirit to work in us. Only as we accept our responsibility and appropriate God's provisions will, will we make any progress in our pursuit of holiness. There is a responsibility that God gives us to say, what are you doing with your life? Are you taking the holiness of God seriously? See, it's not what you avoid that makes you holy. If I'm embracing Christ and I'm following him, then guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to speak to me and say, Barden, this isn't what I have for you. Why are you pursuing these things? Why are you puffing your chest out at these things to try to bring glory to yourself? See, when I'm pursuing Christ, Christ will speak to my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit to show me this isn't what I have for you. And so when we slip up and we make mistakes or there's this sin that we're struggling with, we need to take responsibility for it and recognize it. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what I'm afraid of is we like to kind of be intolerant of our sin, right? Kind of, it's not that bad, is it? Well, so-and-so, they're kind of doing that. What's the big deal if I do this, right? The world's doing this. What's the big deal? I want you to realize that God's word never changes. That just because our society places a stamp of approval on some act of immorality, that doesn't give us the right to say that it's okay today. God says, I love you too much for you to slip back into these ways because I know that sin will ultimately destroy you. And so let's not define our sin 
and how the world defines it today. Let's define it in the way that, God, is this pleasing unto you through my life in Jesus Christ? If it's not pleasing to you, then it's going to lead me astray. See, God doesn't want to deprive us of his joy. He wants to give us peace and to give joy in our lives. That's the pursuit that, that is a joy in holiness. That It's not taking or sucking the joy out of our life. It's actually God saying, I want to give you more joy, and I don't want these things to inhibit you. I want your life to be different. I want your life to be changed. And so God wants us to imitate him. I like Ephesians 5. Paul says this so well in verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You're loved. God loves us. So let us imitate God. And he says, as beloved children and imitators of God, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. As what? There's the word. There's the word. As what? A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is a beautiful thing. When we offer ourselves to God, as a fragrant, say, God, I want to offer you as a fragrant offering. I want to offer my life to you. I, 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 want to, I don't want these, these sins to, to entangle me any longer because I know that it's stifling your love and your goodness out of my life. So he says, he says listen, imitate me. Imitate my son, Jesus. Pursue him with all your heart. I read this funny thing when I was studying for the message. It was kind of funny. Um, it was talking about impersonators. And what was interesting is they, um, they gave these statistics on the most impersonated person in the world. Who do you think is the most impersonated person in the world? Elvis, you guys got it. Someone knew. It's Elvis. Don't be cruel, right? So... In 1977, when, when Elvis died, there was actually 34 professional Elvis impersonators. In 2002, there were 16,122. Today, are you ready? There are over 92,000 professional Elvis impersonators. Now, you start doing the math there, at that rate, by... 2049, one in eight people will be Elvis impersonators. <laughs> so look down your row and say one, two, all right. Um, maybe me, because I like Elvis. I always liked Elvis. See, in our pursuit for holiness, in our walk for holiness, um, that's what we need to call it. it it's not... I think what we try to do is, is this checklist of, okay, I can't do this, I can't do this. Remember, your walk and your pursuit is a pursuit of holiness. Realize that, that if, if God were expecting perfection in our life, we'd be instant failures. We'd be instant failures. And so what God is not expecting this perfection. If that were the case, we'd all fail miserably. Our perfection is found in Christ Jesus, who is perfect. So I have to find my identity in who I am, in he who is perfect, that I live my life through Christ, who is patient with me, who wants me to grow in this holiness, in this relationship with Jesus. This is a journey that will continue the rest of your life until Jesus takes us home, until God takes us home. So realize, what am I doing 
to pursue this relationship with Jesus, not pursue the rules and regulations by saying, here's my checklist and here's all the things I need to stop doing. What will happen is this, in your pursuit of holiness, as you seek Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will reveal those things that ought not be in your life. Why? Because it's not a checklist. It's not this guilt. It's not this condemnation. It's this, Jesus, I want to please you now, and I know this thing doesn't please you. So I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to allow you to take this thing out of my life because I know it's not pleasing to you. Man, some of you... Listen, God wants to give you such a joy in your pursuit with Jesus Christ that you've never received before. And some of you, all you're doing is you're walking either in guilt and condemnation or you're allowing some sin that has been badgering you for years to keep you from truly knowing Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying in these verses in Ephesians, he's saying, be consistently in the process of becoming like God. And so what holiness will ultimately do is bring happiness. Holiness will bring you joy and happiness to your life. Why? Because you're growing closer to Christ. And when you grow closer to Jesus, you're more loving, you're more compassionate, you're more gracious, you have more joy. That's what holiness produces. That is what holiness is all about. I want you to understand there's a difference between struggling and succumbing. How many know that every single one of us in this place is going to struggle with sin the rest of our lives? That's the truth. We are going to struggle with it the rest of our lives. That's why we need Jesus every day. We're going to struggle. Here's where the responsibility comes in. There's a difference between struggling with something. Do you realize that Jesus was tempted also, but yet didn't sin? See, there's going to be that struggle we're going to have, and we're going to need Christ with us, and we're going to need his power and his strength to help us through. But there's a difference between struggling and actually succumbing to that sin. And the problem is, when we succumb to that thing over and over again, it's not something where I've got to pull myself up against that. Man, my New Year's resolution for 2018 is going to be to stop doing that thing that I know is wrong for me. That's not the way you pursue it. That's not the way you overcome it. If there's a sin that you're struggling with and you know that it's in disobedience to the Lord, here's how you overcome that thing. You take responsibility for it. You call it for what it is and say, God, this thing, God wants to hear it. And so many times we want to hide it from the Lord because we're embarrassed. And God says, no, I know that's in your heart. I know that's the thing that's been tripping you up. And what God says is, I want you to give that thing to me. I want my power to reside in you. And Christ's power that resides in you will help you to walk in obedience to me. So when we try to do it in our own strength, and we say, oh boy, I overcame that for a week, right? And then all of a sudden we trip up the week after whatever, and it's just this revolving circle that's just an endless thing that never happens and we never get anywhere. God says, listen, no, I want you to pursue Christ and when you allow my presence to come into your life, I will show you the things that ought not be there. And I'll help you to overcome. See, God doesn't want to push you deeper into a dark cave. He wants to pull you out of that thing and allow you to walk in the light. And here's what I want to let you know. 
It's okay to be accountable to people, to other brothers and sisters in the Lord, to talk about your struggles. We need to talk about our struggles. For some reason, we don't want to talk about our struggles because we're embarrassed, because we feel like we're going to be judged. But the more we bring those struggles to light, the more we defeat the power of the enemy in our lives. It's okay to talk about your struggles. We all struggle, all of us. And the problem is when we don't talk about our struggles, we end up giving in to our struggles. By talking about your struggles, you loosen the power that it has on your life. By talking about your struggles, by allowing other people to pray with you, by bringing that thing to light, you loosen its strength around your life. God says, I want to bring that thing into light now so that it doesn't have that power over you. See, the enemy wants you to keep that thing dark. He wants you to keep walking in that struggle. He doesn't want you to tell that to other people. He doesn't want you to confess that to the Lord because he wants to keep you in that oppressive state. In your pursuit of holiness, God wants you to reveal and confess those struggles so that you don't succumb to them. So what what do you need to ask yourself this morning? Here's a good question. Have you lost your sense of awe? Are you more irritated lately? Have you become more cynical? Are you just... Irritated? Have you lost your sense of hunger for God's word? These might, just might be a holiness issue in your pursuit of God. God says, I want to ignite the passion that you had for me again. But you've got to seek my face. You've got to get along with me. See, when Moses met With God, it was this one-on-one thing. Moses, take your shoes off. And for me, this is what I do. When I get alone with the Lord, I just bow before him. Now, bowing doesn't make me any more holy than if I'm standing. But I want to recognize, God, you are holy and I'm not. And I want to recognize that you are over my life. And I just bow before you because you are great and you are good and you are perfect. Thank you for receiving me through Christ Jesus. See, bowing, it's the posture of your heart that God is looking for, not the posture of your physical being, right? But I believe by Moses removing his shoes, which maybe, maybe, wreck it, you know, maybe it symbolizes the, the filth of the world and, and things that weren't sanctified. Remove those things from your life, Moses. Now, here is my presence. Listen to my voice. I want to speak to you. And so what what we need to do is we come into God's presence and we bow before him and say, God, man, I wasn't patient this week. I had some lustful thoughts. I was mad at somebody. I dropped the F-bomb. I was mad. God, I did, right? You could just, just, just be honest with God. And just say, God, I just, all these things, I just, I messed up. Bow before him and say, God, I give these things to you. I need you. I need your help. I want Christ to live through me. See, the thing of it is, is this. It's not 
necessarily what you said or what you thought. Yes, those are wrong. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. But it's deeper. There's something going on deeper in our heart. And it's the reason why we said that. Why am I irritated? Why, do I, why did I fly off the handle? Why am I thinking these thoughts? There's something deeper that's going on in our heart that we haven't given control to the Lord. And so God wants your heart. When he has your heart, Jesus says it's going to be directed in what you think and what you say. So when he has your heart, so when those things happen, when those thoughts pop in your mind, when you lose your temper, whatever, just don't brush out and say, ah, I got I to gotta overcome that. I know that's wrong. Your spouse is looking at you and saying, see, there you go again. You're like, I know I got to get better. Stop that. Stop it. And say this, God, there's something going on in my heart that you have to take control of. Because unless you have my heart, it doesn't matter. Because I may be good for a week, right? And I'll mess up again. God wants your heart. So get a little deeper. And say, God, I give you my heart. I don't know what's going on in there, Lord. I don't know why I'm frustrated. But there's something wrong in my relationship with you. And that joy and that peace is not there, Lord. So I need to pursue you. So pursue Christ and live through him and allow him to change your heart stop trying to do it in your own strength it never works because you're going to fall in the trap of self-righteousness or just giving up live it through jesus he did it all for you and he loves you and he's patient with us thank god jesus is patient with us right let's pursue god let's pursue him with all our hearts let's bow before him Let's give those things to him. Let's, let's give him our struggles so that it loosens the grip around our life and our hearts. Amen. Let's stand. And I want to pray for you. And we're just going to sing unto the Lord and just allow God to speak to your heart and your life as we just sing this unto the Lord. Let's bow our hearts together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your patience with us. Lord, I just pray that, that God, in our pursuit for you and, and pursuing holiness, God, that we would stop doing it in our own strength. That, God, we would pursue Jesus. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to every single one of us here. That we would be so bold as to take responsibility for the things we know are not pleasing to you. And we would lay those things at your feet so that its power and its grip would no longer have its strength over our life. That we would know that we are going to struggle with these things the rest of our lives. But it's not about victory. It's about obedience. It's about being obedient to you every day. And so, Lord, help us to be the people that are obedient to you. Help us to be accountable to one another. Ask for prayer. Be found in your presence, God, so that in our struggle, those things will not overcome us because, Jesus, you're giving us the strength to pursue you in the right way. God, tenderize our hearts today that we wouldn't point the finger at the world anymore, but we would say, God, humble me first that I might serve the world to be a sweet-smelling offering to this world that so desperately needs a Savior. So, God, as we sing this to you, as we sing about your holiness today, God, just reveal the things in our heart that ought to change and may we just seek your face, Jesus, and thank you for all you've done for us. You are a perfect Savior and God in every single way. So we love you. We thank you for your word today. And we just ask these things.
In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful, wonderful name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Let's sing this unto the Lord. Make it your prayer today. God bless you.